I think that we're being hurt very badly by the, uh, I would call it the witch hunt. I call it the rigged witch hunt. I think that really hurts our country and it really hurts our relationship with Russia. I think that we would have a chance to have a very good relationship with Russia and a very good chance, a very good relationship with President Putin. I would hope so. The indictment charges 12 Russian military officers by name for conspiring to interfere with the 2016 presidential election. According to Rosenstein, the president was briefed earlier this week that the indictments were coming. This was a cyber attack on our elections, and the president of the United States doesn't seem to be concerned as long as Mueller doesn't indict people from his campaign. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So we're going to roll right into the exciting news of the newest Justice Department indictments the work of the Mueller gang of super friends. I know, I know, everyone wants to see the Don Jr. perp walk and how Ivanka makes makeup out of prison ketchup packs. I do too, but be patient. There's lots for our gratitude journals right here in this 12-person indictment of a bunch of Russians for conspiracy to attack the United States. And while waiting for perp walks, you can also cherish Paul Manafort's latest mugshot from yesterday as he heads to maximum security prison before his trial on July 25th for a whole summer mixed grill of offenses. But back to today's indictment. It's a hefty chunk of watermelon and each seed is a little gift of justice. But I do want to clarify exactly what it charges. So it's pretty simple. Basically, the grand jury charges that there were two Russian military units with the catchy names of Unit 26165 and Unit 74455, okay? Unit 26165 was responsible for hacking the heck out of the Clinton campaign and the Democrats. Unit 74455, by contrast, was responsible for distributing and what's called staging the results of these hacks. Now, some people call distributing and staging weaponizing, Basically, it involves somehow twisting the hacked nonsense of emails and office chatter into stuff like the Democrats hate Catholics, and then you drop that bombshell at exactly the right advantageous time. These dudes work together and also with, quote, persons known and unknown to the grand jury. Now, at least one of these people was stateside, a candidate for U.S. Congress, and he's known to the grand jury and indicated without a name in the indictment. Another figure Beefcake Roger Stone, with his Nixon tattoo in the ear of the president, has admitted to back-channeling with Guccifer 2.0, who's named as a proxy for these Russian spies. So the indictments connect the Russian hackers right to the Russian military and make it clear the attack on America was a Kremlin military operation. And they also pave the way for connections of these Russian entities to Americans, at least one congressional candidate and possibly Trump Confederate Roger Stone. Now, here to connect the dots with me is Max Bergman. He's a former State Department official and now a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress and the director of the Moscow Project. Let's jump right in. Yes. <laughs> so, Max, we have a big indictment today. This one signed by Robert Mueller of 12 named Russian individuals, agents of military intelligence. These figures, unlike the ones named in the February indictment, are GRU, that is military intelligence, working for the Kremlin, in, quote, a conspiracy to commit an offense against the United States mostly computer crimes. Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, in his remarks about the indictment, I don't know if you saw, but his nostrils seemed to me to be flaring. He seemed pissed. Yeah. 
But anyway, he hit hard that these are real people in the indictment, people named Alexei, Pavel, Anatoly, uh, Nikolai. They don't have hacker handles anymore. And Rosenstein's emphasis on their being named brings to mind Vladimir Putin's assertion that in the KGB, no charges or allegations matter until you have addresses, houses, and names. Anyway, we just got this scintillating document, yeah. and there are many passages that stand out. But I, I want to know what stands out to you. Well, I think what stands out is that this and you know, took a lot of work on behalf of our intelligence community and the Justice Department. You know, let's be clear, the intelligence community, we all sort of uh, had clear indications that this that Russians had hacked into our elections right away. It was it was sort of obvious on its face and the Russians weren't uh, really trying to cover their tracks. They wanted us to know that they were meddling in our elections and that the Russians were strong and powerful enough to meddle in our elections. But so identifying the actual individuals, uh, that's the hard work that of the intelligence community, of the Justice Department. Um, and so I think over the last two years, they've been, especially the folks fo focused on cyber crimes, have been going and digging and finding and identifying those individuals. And what it confirms mm -hmm. is that the United States was attacked by Russia, effectively, that they attacked our democracy. Uh, and we now know the individuals that were the foot soldiers in that attack or the officers in, the, in that mm -hmm. attack. And what is so, I think, fundamentally galling to me and other uh, national security experts is that the president who apparently was informed about this by uh, Rosenstein a few days ago, uh, yet has still attacked our NATO allies, still attacked our our British allies, and yet has still had very positive things about Russia, about trying to cut a deal with Russia. This summit sh either should not happen uh, that is coming up uh, on Monday, or it should be a summit about confronting Russia, about saying, hand over the people that attacked us, or there's going to be severe consequences in form of sanctions uh, or other sort of economic and diplomatic responses. And none of that has happened. And so this, this indictment, I think, is both confirming what we sort of knew that the Russians interfered in our elections with great granular detail, and also confirming that for some reason, the president of the United States just doesn't care about uh, an attack on the United States. So, you know, it, it almost, as you say, I think Rosenstein said early this week or earlier this week, the president was informed about the indictments. And yeah, I want to go specifically through what he's been doing that, you know, saber rattling at NATO, which is a very pro-Russia move, um, anti-NATO, NATO, NATO pro-Russia statements from the president this week, even while the Justice Department now has some, I think it's uh, pushing 34 indictments, something like that yeah. in the Trump-Russia investigation. Trump almost looks like his former campaign manager, Paul Manafort. I don't know if you saw Manafort's new, what is it it's called? A <laughs> new mugshot. Yes. Um, f while he's now moved to maximum security prison. I mean, Manafort, like Trump, he'd been wearing two anklets. He was now in prison for violating bail terms and he keeps criming while he's right. in prison. And now he has to go to a worse prison right. because he can't stop. It's like Trump is under investigation, a very grueling, hot investigation for his ties to Russia. And still he's playing footsie with Russia and, um, and bashing NATO. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, what, in the world. <laughs> I, and, and I think, you know, I think it's worth sort of taking a step back too to sort of, it's really hard to wrap our head around what 
but most likely happened in the 2016 election, which is that when Trump started to win the Republican primaries mm-hmm. in February, ran, won the first three out of the first four, then in March, what we see is the Russians start to really amp up their efforts to help him. And we know this not simply from the indictments that happened today, but from the previous indictments and from the uh, U.S. intelligence community's unanimous report from January 2017, where it said that in March of uh, 2016 is when the Russians uh, started to really amplify their online efforts, their bots, their trolls to support Trump. But then we now know from this indictment and also from the indictment of uh, George Papadopoulos that the Russians also started at that time to really amp up their hacking efforts of the Clinton campaign, of the DCCC, of Democrats, effectively, of Trump's political opponents. And then what did they do once they got that information, once they were successful in hacking? They then informed the Trump campaign about this. We know this because that's what the Papadopoulos indictment is about. This Maltese professor Mm -hmm. who goes to Papadopoulos in April and says that there's thousands of emails. And then what do they do after that? The Trump campaign doesn't stay away from the Russians. They're not like, oh, God, we don't want to have anything to do with them. And maybe the, you know, they didn't contact the FBI. No, instead... The Trump campaign actively sought out to meet with the Russians. And then we know that the emails that have been highlighted, the hacking efforts that uh, were outlined here, were strategically released around the Democratic convention. And then uh, most brazenly on October 7th at 4.32 p.m. is when WikiLeaks released <laughs> the tranche of John, uh, the first tranche of John Podesta emails. And that's significant because why do you release something on a Friday afternoon, you know, late, late in the day? You They did it. 29 minutes after the Access Hollywood broke, the biggest bombshell of the election. Mm-hmm. Essentially, they're doing Trump a favor. Mm-hmm. So these emails were strategic release to help Trump. And so I think the next question that comes from these indictments is what's the level of, um, of a knowledge and participation from American citizens? And there's already some tidbits within them, particularly uh, there's one uh, uh, indication that someone running for Congress reached out to uh, Guccifer, reached out to these Russian intelligence officers asking for information and received it. Who is that individual? That, I think, is going to be one of the big mysteries. So there's a lot of questions that come out of these. I should say my mind is now back in the killing fields of October 2016, thanks to you invoking the day that will live in infamy when both the Access Hollywood thing and the uh, WikiLeaks dump came. Um, Okay, getting my head back in today. What uh, after yesterday's hearing with Peter Strzok, the FBI agent in charge of the the two investigations, where we saw again the Republicans flailing to try to discredit the Mueller investigation, discredit Strzok as biased. Um, there were we were constantly reminded by Republicans in Congress that no quote collusion has been um, shown by the Mueller investigation. This is a, a, again an effort to say the Mueller investigation is a waste of time. So it's collusion that everybody's looking for. For, as we also know, collusion is not itself a charge. So once again, we get an indict from, from Mueller that uses the word conspiracy around these Russians and hints that there are some stateside co-conspirators or at least stateside um, assets <laughs> that participated in this. And I think, and I should rewind, but I think Rosenstein said that at least one person knew he was talking to a Russian intelligence officer. In the February indictments, and I'm sorry to be all over the place, but the February indictments about the bots and trolls and about some of these campaigns that enlisted American citizens, a lot of those Americans said they didn't know they were talking to Russians. They thought they were talking to other pro-Trump activists. In this case, it looks more like 
that whoever was working with them, um, you know, over here knew what they were doing. We're we're getting closer, yeah, to some something that looks like like would be collusion. So here here's what I would say. I would say if tomorrow there was a breaking news story that in Trump Tower in June of 2016, that Trump campaign officials, that senior Trump campaign officials met, knowingly met with Russian figures that were bringing dirt on Hillary Clinton. Um, and it was about the <laughs> Russian government effort to uh, to help their campaign. Everyone would say, oh, my God, there's evidence of collusion. And so we're sort of searching for the evidence of collusion that we've already in some ways. <laughs> but Max, have. these counterfactuals, but, I mean, are you like we can't deal in hypotheticals here. I mean, you're talking about senior members of the Trump campaign yeah, right. meeting with Russian officials yeah, that's to talk about dirt on Hillary Clinton. That's ridiculous. Except this it is happened. Far-fetched. <laughs> Except it happened. Except and it happened. What we know about that meeting is not only that the Trump campaign was therefore aware of a Russian government effort to support their campaign, but that they were then willing participants. They wanted it. They would love it. And they met. And in fact, the story about that meeting is that Donald Trump Jr. was upset that the Russians didn't come with good enough collusion. And so they wanted to collude. We know the Trump campaign did. And so when you look at the record of then what happened in the election, the Russians clearly interfered all through November, and that's highlighted in this indictment. So that meeting in and of itself is the quote-unquote term collusion, because all collusion is mm-hmm. is secret cooperation for an illegal or deceitful purpose. And that's like the definition of that, that meeting. So I think what we're now waiting for from Mueller is sort of the next phase, because what we have here mm-hmm. is that we have indictments. The Mueller is basically laying the predicate for a conspiracy against the United States or not laying it. He's pr- he's proving it, that there's a, uh, both a conspiracy on the uh, Russian intelligence side of hacking uh, uh, the Democratic Party, hacking Hillary Clinton. So there's a, a cyber conspiracy. But then there's also an, a conspiracy related to sort of propaganda, the online efforts. And that was the uh, indictment of the Internet Research Agency. And so then the next step Mm -hmm. is identifying Americans that participate in that conspiracy. And there's a lot of hints coming out of this indictment about Roger Stone and uh, potentially other members of the Trump campaign. So this is, I think, still sort of early phase, but he's setting the predicate for future indictments of Americans that aided and abetted this crime against the United States. So uh, lots of um, people were guessing or wondering if Roger Stone might, in fact, be named in this indictment when we heard earlier today that indictments were coming. Tell us the backstory on America's heartthrob, Roger Stone, and his relation to to some of the figures named in the indictment. So, so what's clear is that Roger Stone was in constant contact with Trump during the campaign. They try, they may have tried at certain times to claim that Roger Stone wasn't technically on the campaign, but it's clear tr- Stone is a close Trump co- a confidant, confidant, uh, an ally, and if he has you know a long history of being a political dirty trickster, going back to Nixon and Watergate, um, and so. Roger Stone, we know during the election period, was communicating with Guccifer II, who is now clearly a a Russian intelligence uh, figure. He was knowingly communicating with them. But I think most- Or a front, right? Yeah, a Russian front, a Russian intelligence front. And Roger Stone would try to claim, oh, he didn't know that. But what's clear is that Roger Stone knew about John Podesta's emails being hacked before John Podesta. So when Roger Stone in August said, John Podesta's time in the barrel is coming, 
John Podesta didn't know what he was talking about. Another phrase. Yeah. Another phrase for our benighted times. Right. And, um, and of course, lots of people on Twitter got up there to say it's going to be Roger Stone's, wait for it, time in the barrel. Right. And I, th- um, I think that will probably <laughs> yes. come at some point. But, but so how did Roger Stone know about this? And the fact that if an American individual is is subject to a cybercrime or is you know their information is stolen and then someone else is informed and you're informed that they're that you have that about the stolen material that you're a part of that that crime and so the mm. I think there's Roger Stone's going to be in a lot of legal jeopardy and then I think the question is did the Trump campaign get access to these emails and this information before they were released. Because if you're trying to collude with, if you're willing to collude with a foreign intelligence agent agency, then, you know, yes, it's great for you if they hack your opponent and then release that opponent information, which is very damaging, but even better for you is if they give you that material ahead of time before they release it. So you can go through Mm. it, you can mine it, pull out certain emails that you can sort of weaponize. And we know that Cambridge Analytica, which was their data digital firm at the heart of the Trump, the Trump campaign was seeking to connect with Julian Assange. There's emails out there from in August, but trying to get these emails. So the question is, were they successful? Did they get these emails? And it sure seemed like they were really able to weaponize and go on offense very quickly when when emails were released in tranches uh, in in October. So that, I think, is the next phase. And just one last point. It wasn't just that these emails were released. Trump also centered his campaign in the final month of the election on it, mentioning WikiLeaks five times a day, 164 times in the final month. This was not just some, you know, oh, this happened and then he ignored it. This became a critical part of his sort of closing argument to the American people about Clinton being corrupt, about Clinton being anti-Catholic, whatever the the claim was. And so this is re- was mm-hmm. really important to the election. This wasn't just some sort of ephemeral issue that um that that uh, that occurred this was actually central to their closing argument yeah as i would put it tr- uh russia if you're listening trump definitely was interested in wikileaks during yes. that period and and just um, one one quick thing is that that statement it turns out in in the indictment that that evening russia was listening and then they uh started to expand their hacking efforts so and that that's yeah. included in the indictment in that timing and that is i think just just jaw dropping um, you know, it's we're living in sort of two summers at once because two summers ago, we that was when it was all give from Russia. So we're looking at were they giving dirt? Were they hacking on Trump's behalf? Were they releasing bots and trolls on Trump's behalf? How are they changing information space using Cambridge Analytica and and maybe giving a boost to Project Alamo, the cyber campaign, uh, uh, Trump cyber campaign? But now. The Kremlin is ready to start taking. So what's weird is while we're investigating the give from 2016, Trump is fully, you know, Putin is now getting back. He's like Rumpelstiltskin. He's like come for the firstborn, you know, now that was promised to him. And uh, one of the things he got yesterday, if, if Peter Strzok and some of the Democrats in Congress are to be believed, was this show trial of, of Strzok on this ridiculous um, distraction of, you know, but his texts is yeah. basically what yesterday was. Yeah. Like, but her emails, but but his texts. And Strzok said, and I thought quite convincingly, Putin has notched another victory in his belt by creating another division and and, and turning us on each other. And then... Putin has 
had victories all week in Europe, yeah. in Brussels, with Trump doing the thing that Putin wants maybe most after Magnitsky repeal, yeah. is to split up NATO and turn them on each other. So it's a good week for Putin. Oh, it's well, it's been a great year and a half for Putin um, with the, the Trump administration. <laughs> and and I think, you know, if you look at Russia's foreign policy goals, uh, dividing NATO, dividing the European Union, dividing the transatlantic alliance is fundamental to their foreign policy strategy. And, and the reason why is that Russia feels immensely constrained by a unified Europe because it can't really then use its power to cajole smaller states to get better deals, better trade deals, or get access for military bases or other other things. It wants sort of a return to a 19th century sort of balance of power where where big, strong states sort of uh, have, have more power, more control. And so what happens when Europe's united is smaller states like Latvia and Lithuania, Baltic states, states like Poland mm-hmm. are able to stand up to Russia because they have support. They have the United States. They have the European Union. And so what by Trump going to NATO and attacking NATO so aggressively by attacking Germany, by attacking European allies, by basically undermining uh, uh, U.S. Um, U.S. support for NATO. We have to remember, what is NATO? It's essentially the if someone punches our friend, we're going to be there for them. And no one really mm-hmm, believes that mm-hmm. we're going to be there for them. So in, in many ways... Trump has already su- succeeded, if that's his goal, in undermining NATO, and that really advances uh, Putin's interests. And then when we think about sanctions, Trump has already sort of talked about getting, uh, trying to roll back sanctions on Ukraine and Crimea. He's uh, he said that Crimea is part of Russia, despite the fact that Russia mm-hmm. literally invaded Ukraine and seized it and took it from them. Something that has been fairly mm-hmm. unprecedented since the end of the uh, end of World War II. So. This is in, you know, a really dangerous time for European security, and Trump has sort of acted as kind of a, a hurricane going through capitals of Brussels and now, and now uh, London in the UK. Um, and so internationally, Putin has gotten a lot from this Trump administration. And the question is sort of why is Trump uh, sort of acting more in Russia's interest than the United States? And then here at home domestically. What I think that that hearing uh, with Peter Strzok uh, yesterday demonstrated, I think it's quite chilling, actually, is that there's one side of the political aisle is engaging in a fight over impeachment right now. And it's not the Democratic Party. It is Trump and the Republicans. Trump is preparing for a fight over impeachment, a political fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, impeachment is a political mm-hmm. fight. And so what he's essentially doing is trying to throw sand in the gears, sand in the eyes of the American people. Mm-hmm. They're trying to invent mm-hmm. all these conspiracy theories from Peter Strzok text messages to, you know, the liberal FBI sort of plotting against Trump to Uranium One to the uh, unmasking scandal. All these things, which what they're trying to do is solidify the Republican base, Republican Republican support around Trump, and then also confuse the American public, make this seem sort of just a partisan fight. And what that suggests is that Trump kind of knows where this is going. He knows what he's done, Mm -hmm. and he knows that there's this really high-powered investigation after him. And so he can either try to move against the investigation by firing Mueller, or he can work to discredit it. It's sort of the O.J. uh, Simpson-style defense, that you attack the investigation, you try to pull out any sort of uh, discrepancies or things that were slightly off, and blow it up to say that the whole investigation is is irreputable. The absence of interest on the part of Republicans in Congress on uh, the absence of their interest in the clear evidence of Russian interference 
just as a national security question, as even a hawkish national security question that would be right in their wheelhouse if that interference hadn't helped the Republican president. Yeah. It just, that is the thing that blows my mind. I mean, And one of the most effective tactics that the Republicans have used is just not holding public hearings. There's been very few public hearings. And when we think about Watergate, one of the things that was so instrumental to to the whole, uh, to the Watergate process was the education that took place during these public hearings where people are put on the spot Mm -hmm. under oath and then you had people revealing information. That is happening, but it's happening behind closed doors. And then, you know, Chuck Grassley will, will release, you know, thousands of pages of transcripts on like, you know, at a five o'clock in the evening, and then people will pick out amazing tidbits, but it sort of gets lost in the broader sort of uh, ether or the broader sort of fire hose of information that, that's coming out about the Russia investigation. So I think, you know, in some ways, I thought it was very informative, actually, to finally to have a public hearing yesterday, even if the Republicans tended to use it with uh, to, to kind of advance a conspiracy theory, because it enabled the American public to see, here's the FBI agent that they're attacking, and look at his credibility. Like, it, it seemed pretty sterling to me. Um, and so that, I think, w- that's what American public needs more of. The last thing I want to get your your opinion on is the idea that, unlike with the February IRA indictments, these indictments are meant to trigger actual apprehension of the defendants by Interpol. Is Are we going to see some arrests? So, you know, I think the FBI and, and uh, Rosenstein are, are pretty clear-eyed about this, that the, the Russians don't hand over their intelligence agents when indicted on uh, for crimes, and they're not expecting them uh, to do so. I think it does sort of mean that these people are basically imprisoned in Russia, and that if they were to go to a country with extradition treaties with the United States, that they would be, um, you know, targets. But we have to remember what Russia has been. Russia has effectively been a safe haven for for cyber criminals. It basically uh, enables uh, hackers, both both attached to the GRU as well as uh, ones that are sort of private, do their own thing, but then every once in a while are called in to do favors for uh, for the GRU. But it's a safe ha- it's a safe haven for cybercrime, and that's how the Russians how the Russian state has been established. You know, when we think of safe haven for terrorists; it's a safe haven for cyber criminals. But Trump should confront them about it. Trump should demand that they are handed over. Um, and and you know, this is I think. Uh, not so much about getting those Russians uh, in jail. I think what this is about is trying to undermine and uh, expose Russia's intelligence operations, uh, not just in the United States, but worldwide, and begin the process of trying to do a lot to to uh, unravel these networks that are both operating you know, here in the United States and in Europe. You know, we, just for some quick broader context, for you know, up until this attack, the United States have been focused on counterterrorism for, you know, after 9-11 for the last, you know, for 15 years, had had sort of turned mm-hmm. a blind eye to uh, Russian intelligence operations. Yes, we were focused on it somewhat, but this was not a major focus of our national security apparatus. I think that shifted within the bureaucracy. And so I think there's going to be a lot of attention paid to Russian intel activities and efforts to sort of uh, squelch them out. I say, I think that's what That's a signal, I think, that this sends. Max Bergman, thank you so much for being on Trumpcast. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. And you should follow us on Twitter at RealTrumpCast. 
In the meantime, all of us have a lot of reading to do this weekend. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. <laughs>